We ask all this, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Morning, church. Well, as Sky was just praying, yes, we had a great weekend. Um, for those of you that had to work and you couldn't be here, um, the lectures, the talks, they were recorded, as in the Saturday morning session one and two. So I'd just encourage you, we really want our culture of this church to be excited about reaching the lost. You know, we want, our, we want the culture in this church, and hear this, hear this, I want the culture of this church, we must be about reaching the lost. We must be about sharing the gospel. We have to be, for the glory of God, period. So if you're excited about that, that's where our church is going to go more and more, and I'm jazzed about it, but I'm not preaching today, so <laughs> you don't have to hear it from me. You get a break from me. That's my gift to you. So, um, but... Uh, I do want to introduce you to the team of Operation 513. We'll start with, um, with Ryan. So, Ryan, if you can come up here. But as, as you're coming up, I thought they're sort of dispersed amongst our church. So if you are working with Operation 513, which I see some of you, can you just stand up so at least we can just see who you are? So I, I won't go through all of their names. But, um, Matty, you dude, you going to stand up? There you go. <laughs> so I uh, can't miss him. Pink shirt. So... There are a team of six. This is Ryan. Him and I will chat in just a minute. But look, I'd encourage you. They have, they, look, the, the whole reason they're here is to invest into our church. They got in a van and drove from Brisbane to, to see the lost reached on the Central Coast and to equip us. So um, ask them questions afterwards. You know, for, forget just going, thank you, thank you. You know, just whatever. That's nice. But just, just try it. Asking them a question, say, what, what have you learned as you engaged with people yesterday, you know, et cetera. So you can sit down, girls, and Matt, and you. So Ryan, let me introduce you here. Uh, Andrew, should I use this mic? Yes? Can you switch? Here. See? All right. Your name? Yes, my name is Ryan. And yeah, it's great to be here. It's, uh, it's been wonderful yesterday just seeing even the great turnout of you guys to the evangelism training. You know, often evangelism is a, is a scary word and people are like, oh, I would do anything other than that. But it's just so exciting to see that this church is, you've got a, first of all, wonderful pastor and you guys are, are so on board with that same mission, which is awesome to see. So Operation 513, what, what, what are you guys, what, you know, what, what do you do? What, what, yeah, you know, yeah. what, what is this? So the name, you might think, what's, what's the numbers 513? Where does that come from? It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 which is you are the salt of the earth and light of the world. And so, yeah, that's what we as Christians are called to be, the salt of the earth and light of the world. And so it started about 15 or so years ago, and it's just a group of Christians from various churches just working together for the common purpose of getting the gospel out to the lost. And so uh, we just started off with a Saturday night outreach in Brisbane City about 15 years ago, and we'd just go there just to try and strike up conversations with people, sharing the gospel with the lost. And then from that, God's just been raising up laborers to come along and from various churches. And we've now branched out from just being one outreach a week to now basically having an outreach every day of the week in some location uh, across uh, Brisbane and, and that surrounding re region. What, as you think about this last year or so, just, I mean, you've been doing more than a year, but give us just some, some highlights or, or some stories or things like that because it sounds really and i 
I think for the average Christian, this is the most frightening thing about just approaching a random stranger and then trying to engage in one of the deepest things in the world. And mm. so what, what is that like? And, and I'm sure there's times it, it bombs and times it goes really well. And, and yeah. yeah, definitely. And so you're going to have a variety of reactions from people, those who don't care, those who don't want to talk. But you also have those who are like, wow, I, yeah, this is actually, I would love to chat about this. And you have some really great conversations. I think of a story when I was I was at schoolies. Um, we were outreaching there and chatting to the young people who just finished school, year 12ers, and we're like, all right. And, let, and so we went for like the whole week to speak to these people at the Gold Coast. And there was one guy that I spoke to and he just like, he hated the message. He was so resistant to it. He was arguing at every point. Anyway, didn't think anything more of it. Six months later, he finds me in Brisbane City and said, hey, you know it." last year at school is you chatted to me um, about this and I hated it at the time but I couldn't get it out of my head and so I've been I've been thinking about it and thinking about it and guess what I just want to tell you I'm now a Christian and I'm attending this local church over here I was like wow praise be to God God is God is awesome and so yeah there are plenty of these great um, encouraging stories where God is just through a simple conversation just it's nothing about us we're just unworthy servants preaching the good news of the gospel it's the gospel that it is the power of God for salvation, which is exciting. Amen. Well, so as you know, we went out. That's a story from the Gold Coast, which is like nine hours from here. Um, but we, as our church, went down to Gosford Waterfront yesterday. And so I thought you'd hear from one of our own. So Jules, if you want to come up here. And I'm just going to ask her a ba- couple of basic questions. Thanks, bro. As Ryan gets mic'd up to um, deliver the sermon to us today. So... Does everybody know Julie Brand? <laughs> yes, we love Julie Brand. So, Jules, you joined us at Gosford Waterfront yesterday. How how did that go? What what? Yeah, give us. You, I mean, and you were able to talk to several people. I saw. Yeah, and so how did how did that go? And give us some feedback. Well, I didn't actually personally speak to them, but sure. uh, yes, we stopped a few people. Um, <laughs> Uh, this girl down here, she was amazing. Um, it was I found it very um, interesting how it all sort of unfolded in the way of they always kept to the, the gospel and also the allergies that they went by, like the building builder one, um, which was, you know, a lot of people just go on a big rave and, you know, you just sit and go... Like this, and then they just bring it straight back to where they were. That's what I loved about it. You're saying the team was really, really focused, focused on rather than getting following rabbit trails. Yes, the team yeah. themselves modeled really well, just being on point. On point all, yeah. all the time, and I loved how they, they, the way they crash, uh, questioned. It made people think. It wasn't like a start of an argument. It actually made them think mm. of what their answer was going to be. Mm. And I found that was very good because um, by doing that, it's more likely to be planted into their head a bit more. Were you surprised? I know I'll speak for myself, but (coughs) I was surprised how many reincarnationists we have (laughs) on the Central Coast. (laughs) I mean, literally almost everyone we talk to, their hope is that they're going to be reincarnated into something. Yeah, that's right. Which is really interesting. I found that interesting too. But they're not Buddhists. (laughs) It's just, yeah. Yeah. Or a lot of energy in the stra- on the coast as well. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So thanks, Jules. Thanks, thanks for Brad. sharing. Yeah, and no thank problem. you for coming here. I'll, I'll take the mic. Thank you. And um, yeah, look, like I said, if you missed it, I just encourage you to um, check out the, uh, we're going to post those, I think, online, maybe. Yeah, great. And um, now we're going to have uh, a time of Bible reading. So if you do have your Bibles, um, actually, if you're in Impact Zone um, and you can head out now and uh, follow Dan, follow that guy. And um, Lisa is going to read from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, which seems like many of you do, praise God, open them up or turn on your phones to Matthew chapter 10. Yes, today re today's reading is Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 31. So that's Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 31. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Behezabal, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim it on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, rather Fear those who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Praise be to God. No, this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> I was ahead of myself. Good morning. Keep your Bibles open uh, to Matthew chapter 10. But let's begin in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can open up your word this morning. I pray that you would speak to us through it and may we learn what you want us to learn from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The world that we live in is gripped by fear. People fear burglars. They'll, that's why they put bars on their windows. They'll install high-tech security systems. People fear the dark. And so many people won't sleep with their light, without a light on. And as we see in the news these days a lot, the world fears new strains of coronavirus. Now, the world is gripped by fear. Now, fear itself is not bad. Fear will prevent people from running out onto the highway with their eyes closed. Fear will prevent most people from base jumping. But in the passage that's just been read, Jesus three times commands us not to fear man. And he gives us five reasons to back it up. And so let's begin in verse 24. Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Now, these are, this is a very straightforward statement here. He's saying, He's basically saying an employee is not above his boss. It's obvious, right? An employee doesn't tell the boss what to do, the boss tells the employee what to do. 
So in the same way, if someone is a disciple, he listens to and obeys his teacher. The teacher is the one who knows, the disciple is the one who learns. Same thing with a servant. The servant is the one who obeys his master. And so he gives two illustrations here. They're very straightforward. The disciple doesn't teach the teacher and the master doesn't submit to the servant. But what these two illustrations show is our relationship with Jesus. He's our teacher. We're his disciples. He is our master and we are his servants. Now, the aim of a disciple would always be to be more like his teacher in everything. Is that our aim? You might say, yeah. But what is he meaning in the context of this passage? Now, if you look in your Bible, Jesus has just spent the 10 verses before this part talking about how you're going to be delivered up to court, you're going to be flogged, you're going to be dragged before governors, be delivered over to death and be hated by all and be persecuted for my name's sake, Jesus says. What a list. Doesn't seem very attractive, does it? Not really your best life now. And it's not quite what the Jews were expecting with the Messiah. They were expecting him to overthrow the Romans and to establish peace forevermore. But Jesus, in this chapter, is promising the opposite in regards to this life for any of his followers. But why? Because the same things would happen to Jesus himself, to our teacher, to our master. And so if we who are Jesus' disciples and we're servants of him, whatever people said about Jesus, they're going to say about us. Whatever people thought about Jesus, they'll also think about us. And whatever people did to Jesus, they'll also do to us. Now, if you remember back just a few weeks to Good Friday, we all remember what they did to Jesus. But Jesus goes on from here. In verse 25, he says, It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. This is the thing about true, being a true disciple of Jesus. He's content being like his teacher. He doesn't need to be greater than him, doesn't need to try and go above him or try and escape what his teacher didn't escape. He's willing to take it all. The Apostle Paul prayed something similar when he said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Philippians 3.10. For the true disciple, it's enough to be like his teacher. He doesn't ask to be loved by the world. He doesn't ask to be everyone's friend. He simply asks to be like his teacher, which means being treated just like his teacher was treated. And so Jesus goes on in verse 25 to say, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, that is Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? So if the world was happy to call the master of the house Satan directly to his face, imagine what they're going to say about us, those who belong to Jesus' household. So Jesus' argument is this. If they're happy to call me Satan, right to my face, they said, you're Satan, how much more are they going to malign you because you follow me? 
because you're with me and because you speak my truth. And so, friends, we shouldn't think that we're going to get better treatment from the world than what Jesus got. The disciple of Jesus doesn't desire to be accepted by the world or to be loved by the world when his Lord was rejected and crucified by the world. He doesn't expect to be famous and respected by the world when his master was considered infamous and was rejected. Remember what Jesus said? Brother will deliver brother over to death, his father, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. This is the cost of discipleship, the cost of being a Christian. And this is what Christians should expect regardless of the year you live in, regardless of the government you have, even for us living in 2021, we should be expecting this. And in a way, this is a way to gauge our Christian lives. Because the more we're like Jesus, usually the more they'll treat us like Jesus was treated. And so if we're never receiving any kind of flack, any kind of criticism or persecution for our faith, it could be that there's not much similarity. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now, what would you expect Jesus to conclude from what he's just said here about the cost of following him? Go out to the desert, find a cave to live in? No. Stop talking about me and you'll be all good? No. In fact, this passage assumes that if you're part of Jesus' household, you'll be speaking about him declaring his message. And we'll see that in a few verses' time. But let's see how Jesus concludes from what he's just said so far in this passage. Verse 26. So have no fear of them. Notice the word so. So means the reason's already been stated. Now this is the logical conclusion from what he's just said. So have no fear of them. Even though I've just told you that because you follow me, you're going to be treated the same way that I'm treated. That's the very reason why you should not fear them. So, first reason Jesus gives. Do not fear man because you'll be insulted just like he was. Do not fear man because you'll be insulted just like Jesus was. Now, you might be thinking, okay, that doesn't really help me. How does that help me be fearless? Wouldn't it do the exact opposite? Well, I think it does help because it shows you that you're part of his household. The fact that they say the same things to you that they said to him can be a comfort for you because it shows that you're following in the footsteps of your master. It shows that you're part of his household. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.29, it's a clear sign of your salvation that you suffer for Jesus' sake. And so fear not, do not fear man, because you'll be insulted just like what Jesus, just like Jesus was, because you're part of his household. Now, I'm not sure if you guys have ever had one of those um, electricity sales providers come to your house over the past maybe a number of years, and they try and convince you to get electricity from them. Now, we, we did. Uh, we had them come by very regularly, in fact. 
One week, a person came from AGL and said, hey, look, you're with Origin Energy and you're paying too much. I actually had to tell them that we weren't with Origin, we were with Australian Power and Gas, and we were quite happy with them. Next week rolls around, different sales provider comes to our door. This time he says, um, yeah, he also says, you're from Origin, you're, you're with Origin and you're paying too much. I had to say to him the same thing. Next week rolls around, a sales provider comes from Australian Power and Gas and says, you're with Origin, you're paying too much. <laughs> and so I said, no, we're already with you. Um, now, you might have had someone, like a salesperson, come to your door like this. Now, there are stories of people who have had very bad experiences with maybe an electricity provider. And so they call up the company in anger and maybe they, they give them a serve of what they think. But when a salesperson from that provider comes to their house, the sales provider then gets the brunt of that same anger and insults because they know the salesperson belongs to the company. They're representing the company. And so in the same way, we belong to Jesus' household. When we speak about him, people know that. And so the same sort of insults they'll say about Christ, they'll say about us. And so when that happens, it shows that we belong to Jesus. And that's a comfort. Do not fear man because you'll be insulted just like Jesus was. But let's keep going in verse 26. And we'll see a second reason not to fear man. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So reason number two, to not fear man is because we will be vindicated one day. We don't need to fear the world because in the end, God is going to vindicate the truth that we're speaking now. The truth that we're speaking will triumph. People may reject it now. They may call it the word of Satan. They may throw it out. They might try and bury it and hide it and pretend that it doesn't even exist. But Jesus is saying, take heart in the cause of truth, because in the end, the truth will be revealed. All reality will be uncovered. And those who spoke it with clarity and openness, they'll be vindicated. So do not fear. Have you noticed when you speak to people about the fact that there's a coming judgment, that we're all going to have to stand before God one day, they'll often say, just to ignore the truth, they'll say, but I don't believe in God. But folks, these people are going to stand before God on judgment day, whether they believe it or not, and they'll clearly see that what we said on earth was true and that they were foolish for rejecting that truth. Because denying God's existence does as little to remove His existence as if I deny the existence of this building will remove the builder's existence or even the, building, the building's existence. And so what we say about Jesus, what you say about His Word, will one day be shown to everyone for what it is, the truth. And that's why we don't need to fear man. Rather, you are to speak to them of this truth, even if they are to reject it. Because they rejected it when the same truth came out of our Savior's lips. So why should we be worried about being unpopular in this life when we know we're going to be fully vindicated in the next? Our perspective should be God's perspective. He sees the end from the beginning. Those in the eyes of the world who now look like the winners will actually turn out to be the losers. 
And those who right now look like the losers will actually be the winners. The job of every Christian isn't simply to live their life keeping silent about God's truth. No, when God gives us truth to declare, the job of us as Christians is to make it known, not to hide it. Verse 27 says, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. The truth that Jesus reveals is not something we should keep hidden from people. We shouldn't stay silent about Jesus just because the world hates him. Rather, it should be something proclaimed from the housetops. That just means to anyone, to everyone. Now, when he says, what I tell you in the dark and what you hear whispered, he's referring to the truth that he revealed to his disciples privately. You might remember when he was preaching, to, Jesus was preaching to the crowds, to the multitudes. Most of the time, he'd just speak in parables, and he wouldn't even give any explanation for them. And so the, uh, the parables were pretty hard stories to understand if you didn't have the explanation. But to the disciples, uh, Jesus says, um, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And so one reason why he didn't speak openly to the crowds was because part of the crowd were the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were always trying to catch Jesus in his words. And so if Jesus spoke really clearly about who he was to absolutely everyone, he, they would have tried to crucify him much earlier, or the people would have tried to make him king. And so he wouldn't have been able to teach his disciples as thoroughly. And so back in Matthew 10, Jesus is commanding here, you know these things I'm telling you guys in secret? It's going to be your job to proclaim them out in public when I'm gone. You're going to be my witnesses. And so in turn, we've been commissioned by God to be his witnesses, to be his ambassadors, speaking his truth to a world that hates him and therefore will hate us. But fear not, because you'll be vindicated one day. Our third reason not to fear man is because you can only be killed. Verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The worst thing that your opponents can do to you is kill your body. That's it. Just kill your body. They can't cast you to hell. All they can do is kill this thing which is temporary anyway. They can't touch your soul. In fact, the bodies they destroy will one day be resurrected and become imperishable. So do not fear man because you can only be killed. But God is the one whom the world should fear. For if anyone does not trust in Christ, they should be terrified of God. They should terrify him more than they terrify, they're scared of criminals, more than they're scared of terrorists or coronavirus. Because God can not only kill their body, but God can then cast their soul with a new body to hell forever. Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The world should be fearing God. Unbelievers need to flee to Christ while the floodgates of mercy are open to them, while they still have breath in their lungs. 
Because, friends, God's judgment is not just going to be passive. It's not going to be merely like a separation from Him, which unbelievers would love anyway, because they, they are separated from Him in this life. They can't wait to be separated from Him in the next. But no, this verse says that God will be actively destroying them, both body and soul, in hell, punishing them there. But for us who have fled to Christ, us who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we're trusting that He died in our place, we don't have to fear the punishment from God. And that means we don't need to fear man either. We don't need to fear man when they oppose us, when they insult us, when they even kill us simply because we speak the truth Jesus spoke. Because if you think about it, the only thing they're doing by killing you is simply dispatching you to heaven. Have you thought about that? All they can do is dispatch you from this temporary body to paradise, to be with God forever in joy and peace and happiness. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Yeah. Paul says, I'd much rather depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. What's there to fear then? Don't fear man, because you can only be killed. Our fourth reason, then, not to fear man, is because God intimately knows everything about you. Verse 30. Let's go to verse 30. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, have you ever tried to count the number of hairs on your head? <laughs> very hard, very hard. What about someone else's head? Ha- what about someone else's head? Yeah, basically impossible. But here we've got God not only knowing how many hairs are on your head, but He numbers each one of them, numbers them. And so Jesus is saying this to make us remember that something as insignificant as knowing how many hairs are on your head, God even knows that. He knows about you to the minutest detail. And so surely he's going to know about what people are saying to you. He knows the abuse you're going to get because you follow Christ. But he's he's not disinterested about what's happening to you. He's right there with you. He even cares about how many hairs fell out of your head while you're washing your hair this morning. That's how much God is interested in what happens to his children. So fear not. God is close to you. God intimately knows everything that happens to you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Now this brings us then to our final reason that Jesus gives not to fear man. Reason five. Do not fear man because your suffering happens only according to God's will. Let's read verses 29 and verse 31. 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Verse 31. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I remember when I was young, I would sometimes go to the corner store, the milk bar, we'd call it, with 20 cents. I was able to buy maybe a small lolly with that. Today, you can't get much for 20 cents. Or if you came, if you came with 5 cents, you wouldn't be able to probably get anything. If you came along with a 1 cent coin, they won't even accept it. Right? In Jesus' day, you could buy two sparrows for 1 cent. They were as common 
and useless then as they are today to people. In the marketplace, they were basically as valuable as someone selling a handful of dirt. And yet, even though they're so insignificant, of basically no value to anyone, not a single one of them will die apart from your Father in heaven. Nothing can happen to the most insignificant bird apart from God allowing it to happen. And if that is the case with sparrows, how much more with people? For it says we are worth more than many sparrows. What this means is that no one's going to kill you or hurt you if God doesn't want that happening to you at that point in time. No one can come up behind you and kill you and that be a surprise to God. No harm is going to befall you apart from what God mercifully wills to happen to you. One young missionary, Henry Martin, said, If God has work for me to do, I cannot die. So I appeal to you, friends, don't fear man. Don't listen to the spirit of the age that says, look, it's fine for you to go to church on Sunday, but don't tell anyone that you've got the truth. Don't talk about how my sins are an offense against God. The world shows little objection to a gospel of just niceties, offering just peace and joy and blessings. But a person of the world is terribly offended when he's told that he'll have to stand before a holy God to give an account for his sin, and that for them he deserves hell. The world doesn't like hearing that, but it's something that we must warn people about. But then tell them the great news about how Jesus died and rose back to life, and that if they would trust in what Jesus has done, they would not perish but have eternal life. They'd be forgiven, no matter how many sins they've committed. Hugh Latimer was one day preaching before King Henry VIII, and he recounts saying to himself, Latimer, Latimer, remember that the king is here. Be careful what you say. Then he said to himself, Latimer, Latimer, remember that the king of kings is here. Be careful of what you do not say. And his unwavering faithfulness to the truth meant that he was burned at the stake because he was more concerned about failing God than impressing men. So friends, let's be bold. Let's speak God's truth to the world. Even if they kill us, so what? That's not ultimately bad for us. They're simply dispatching us to heaven. The missionary Jim Elliott in the 20th century, who was trying to reach some unreached tribe groups, uh, people groups in the jungles of Ecuador, he said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And for Jim, he ended up being speared to death by the natives he was trying to reach. But all they could do was kill his body. Jim's now in paradise. And yet his witness to the truth to those tribes, even though it led to his death, resulted in the doors of the gospel going to these people and so many of them becoming Christians. So friends, what you learn in your room, what you learn at church, speak in the light. What you read in the scriptures, proclaim from the housetops. We don't need to fear any man. We have God's truth. Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, please help us. Just like in the book of Acts, when the early Christians prayed for boldness and you shook the place where they were gathered and you gave them boldness, Lord, please shake this place. Give us a boldness to speak your truth to your people, to people in this world. May we not care about what the, people, what the world thinks of us, but may we be more concerned about pleasing you, about what you think of us. Thank you that in this passage you've given us five reasons not to fear man. May these reasons penetrate our hearts and minds. And so, Lord, may each and every day, may we look for opportunities to get the gospel out to our friends, neighbors, and even strangers we see on the street. Thank you, Lord, that in Christ there is forgiveness of sins for all who would trust in him. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks, Ryan. Good. Um, you know, it's, it's, I was thinking about it when I was listening to you preach, brother. It's, I guess it's on the one hand, and you, you come to church and you kind of go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you, you're faced with an, like a, an uncomfortable situation and you just want to just take the easier way out. Am I the only one that feels that way? And, um, and yet we, there's no reason to fear. And th- that was actually really encouraging. So, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, and ultimately, we don't have a reason to die. And why is that? Because instead, right? The Bible says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so if you're here and you're saying, yes, I'm trusting in Jesus alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. Yes, right now, I'm presently, right now trusting in Christ, that my only hope, my only hope for salvation is it's, it's built on nothing but Jesus, then this is an opportunity for you to express that visibly when um, the helpers are about to come and distribute communion elements. And for you to actually grab that and to say, yes, I, though this is just a little wafer and you can open those little bits and pieces but this actually represents Christ's body broken for me. This is his blood shed on the cross for me. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, I just want to encourage you to participate in this time of communion together as a church. So take all those elements, pieces, hold on to them, and we'll take them together as a church. If you're here and you're not a Christian, a lot to think about. Life or death stuff, really. Um, and so it, communion is, is not... Uh, for non-Christians. 